Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you for the blessing of life that you have given us, Lord. Thank you for another opportunity to praise your name and to lift it high, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would open our hearts and prepare us to receive you, Lord, and that you would nourish us and strengthen us, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning! It's so good to see you all today. Well, on Friday, September 28th, in the year 1928, something amazing happened. Anyone know what that was? No, nothing to do with Israel. Really kind of a small event, right? Somebody the night before had left the lid off of his Staphylococcus plate culture, his Petri dish. He had forgotten to put the lid back on that night when he had gone home for dinner. And when he came back the next day, something was growing in his Petri dish. Anyone know what it was? Penicillin, that's right. It was this mold growing in that Petri dish. And there in the middle of that staff was this circle of mold. And around the mold was this clear area where there was no staff growing. This man was named Alexander Fleming. I don't know if he was Ian Fleming's brother, the James Bond guy. But um, both did some pretty remarkable things, right? And he concluded that the mold released a substance that repressed the growth and caused the death of the bacteria. He, gave the, he, gave, he grew a pure culture ultimately and discovered that it was a penicillin mold. And now we have penicillin because of that. Pretty cool, huh? Right? I mean, that's pretty remarkable. And it took him a while to figure out what to do with it. You know, he thought it would be just good antibacterial, like Lysol. Kind of, you could put it on everything. You know, and then it was a while, uh, like a couple years, till they thought we could use this on people. And then how to use it on people and how to get it. At one point, they had one dose. That was like all they had grown. You know, so like, it was pretty remarkable how this all worked. And then there was a moldy cantaloupe, which changed the world. Isn't that exciting, moldy cantaloupe? Somebody saw a moldy cantaloupe and saw the, the mold growing on it and realized, wait, this is a good substrate to grow this, to grow penicillin in. And so that allowed them to mass produce it. It's pretty amazing, isn't it, how all this stuff works together? I mean, the simplest kind of innocuous things lead to the inoculation of the, no, I guess it's not inoculation, lead to the uh, health of many, right? And this discovery by Alexander Fleming uh, led to the modern era of anti antibiotic discoveries. It's pretty amazing. He just opened the doorway to it. It was not what anyone had expected. It didn't happen in the way that anyone expected or foresaw. But these simple things have changed the world for us. In the Bible, we see God working in the most remarkable and unexpected ways as well, using simple means to bring about his miraculous plan. Indeed, he often seems to use the most strange tools to carry out his work. Now, in our reading from Exodus, we are well into the account of the deliverance of Israel from slavery under Egypt. You will remember that Israel had moved to Egypt because of whom? Joe, right? Joseph lived there in uh, Egypt, and he was the number two in um, command of Egypt. 
He was just under Pharaoh, and he was protecting Egypt and much of the known world um, from a massive famine that was sweeping the land. And so because Joseph was there, because of his kind brothers who had sold him into slavery, he then uh, was able to bring his family down, and then they settled in Egypt in the land of Goshen, and they flourished there. Then along came a Pharaoh who didn't know who? Joseph, that's right. Good work, the small, still small voice from behind me. Didn't know Joseph. The Pharaoh didn't know Joseph. And so he subjugated the Israelites. He feared them. And so he placed them in slave labor. And he had their sons killed, which was not a nice um, thing to do. Then God preserved the life of a child named Moses. Holy Moses, that's right. Who through the grace and providence of God was raised in the household of Pharaoh. Then when he was 40 years old, what did Moses do? Killed an Egyptian, that's right. Moses killed an Egyptian. And when his people found out, what did Moses do? Ran away, that's right. He ran away. And he was out there for 40 years. And then we have the burning bush, right? And who speaks to Moses out of the burning bush? God speaks to Moses and sends him back to Egypt to set his people free. So Moses is now 80 years old, right? 80 years old, just starting his ministry. And he comes back to his people and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh does, right? Pharaoh's like, no big deal, Moses. Sure, have him. No, he doesn't. So God sends upon the land of Egypt ten plagues. And after the tenth plague, where the firstborn were killed, unless the blood of the lamb was spread on the doorframe of the house, after that plague, Pharaoh let Moses and his people go. And the Israelites, man, they were out of there. They moved swiftly into freedom. It must have been a wonderful but nerve-wracking time for them. They're moving away from slavery, away from oppression, to a new future. And there is God leading them in a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. They can always see God moving before them. All they need to do is follow him. What could ever go wrong with this? But pretty soon they find out lots of things can go wrong, right? Because who's following them? The Egyptian army, right, led by Pharaoh with his chariots, they are bearing down on them. I mean, this is like, you know, NASCAR car versus a tortoise, right? They are all over them. They are coming, and, they, and the Israelites know they cannot get away. They're on foot. They can't run fast enough to escape. And besides that, they're backed up against what? The sea, the Red Sea, that's right. They got the Red Sea on one side, the Egyptian army coming on the other. There's no way they can get away. But then God does something very beautiful. He moves between the Israelites and the Egyptians. He moves that pillar of cloud. God bless you. He moves it right between them so that neither of them can get to one another. He protects his people. And then the most simple but remarkable thing happens. God causes a wind to blow. 
a strong east wind blows. And it blows all night long. And this wind turns the sea into what? Dry land. Dry land. Just like that, God uses the simplest thing to provide a path for his people. And then the Israelites moved through the Red Sea on dry land, and once through, God caused the water to close up again on them, and he destroyed their oppressors, the Egyptians. This powerful deliverance, this exodus through the Red Sea, became one of the pivotal events in Israel's history. It became the story that was retold over and over again every year. It became part of their national identity that they were a people who had been delivered by the providence and protection of God. God had set them free. He had led them out. He had stood between them and their enemies, and he had delivered them. The same God is with us now. He is the one who has set us free. He is the one who has led us out. He has stood between us and our enemies, and he has delivered us as well. He has done this through his son, Jesus Christ, who used the simplest and oddest of tools, the cross, to purchase our salvation. God did this in a completely unexpected way. No one was looking to the cross and thinking, oh, someday a Savior is going to save us on that thing. Nobody looked to that. Instead, people looked to chariot and rider, right? That's where they thought the strength was. But Jesus Christ used the cross to stand between us and our enemies and in his resurrection to offer us eternal life. Will we accept this free gift of salvation? Will we, like Israel, be willing to follow when he leads us? Will we continue to live in the reality that he is a God who delivers? And will we move from slavery to freedom by the grace of God? The question sits before us this day and every day. May we choose life. May we choose freedom. May we choose the hope of Christ. And may we allow him to use this simple tool of the cross to set us free. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord, which you have poured out upon us. We confess to you, Lord, that we are in need. So often, Lord, we look to the more complicated ways, um, to confusing and difficult means, Lord, in which to seek our own salvation. We try to earn it, Lord. We try to prove to you how worthy we are of it, Lord. But all you ask of us is to receive the gift you have offered. Help us, Lord God, to do so. Help us, Lord God, to walk in your footsteps, Lord, and to follow you as you lead us. Help us, Lord, to walk humbly, Lord, knowing that we did not earn this salvation, but that you have earned it on our behalf. And may we share this hope with others, that they might be filled with your joy, your peace, and your freedom as well, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.